thank you uh, very much. Uh, Al's wearing wellies, I think, because she didn't trust in the structural <laughs> integrity of the paddling pool, uh, holding 1,600 litres of water. Um, baptism, though, as I said, is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful picture of Christian faith. It's a picture of uh, dying and rising, new life, washed clean, fresh start. And actually, that is what our passage that Alison just read to us was all about as well. Uh, we may not have uh, noticed with all that talk of um, sheep and shepherds and gates and so on. Perhaps we, we, we got lost a little bit. Um, but that's what it was all about. Um, now, children, there's a, um, a clipboard with an activity booklet to help you uh, follow along as we go. Uh, and uh, grown-ups, there is an outline in your word sheets um, to help you uh, too. But um, Jesus takes uh, this idea of, of sheep and, and shepherds in, in a sheep pen from what would have been everyday experience for pretty much everyone he was speaking to in, in the ancient Near East. And um, we, uh, in um, Upton, or wherever you've come from today, if you're visiting, uh, we probably don't own many sheep, um, if any, in fact. And probably we're not used to sheep pens or shepherds or sheep rustlers in Upton either. But I think we can imagine the picture that Jesus is painting. Here is a, a, a flock of sheep and one owner. And, um, and when he comes to the sheep, he comes in the right way through the gate. He doesn't kind of sneak in or climb over a wall or something like that. Uh, he comes in publicly and he knows the sheep. He calls them by name uh, and leads them out. You can imagine, can't you? Come on, Molly. Come on, Dolly. Come on, Polly. Polly probably isn't a great name for a sheep, is it? But whatever it is. Um, it, it's a little bit like if you ever saw um, Babe, the sheep pig. Anyone seen that? I love that film. But anyway, the, the, this... Um, pig can speak to sheep, uh, turns out, and understands um, the shepherd as well. And so he can, you know, talk to the sheep and the sheep do what he says because they, they hear him, they understand, they follow him. It's maybe not, not, that, not exactly like that, but a little bit like that. The owner can come and call the sheep by name. They, they know his voice and they, they come and follow. And Jesus is, is saying, the point of this analogy, this picture, is that he is... The shepherd who's come into this sheep pen, this world, to call his sheep to come with him. We are the sheep. Now, um, that might seem really straightforward, but uh, verse uh, 6, if you close your Bibles, please open them back up again, because we're going to be going through uh, these verses in some detail. Page 1076, uh, John chapter 10, verse 6. Jesus used this figure of speech... But the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So he edits the picture a little bit, but says the same thing again. Verse uh, 7, therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. So he switches things up a little bit. I'm the gate for the sheep. All who've come before me are thieves and robbers, i.e. they come over the wall or, or, or round the back. Um, all who've come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So two things uh, just to draw out of those first few verses, uh, this uh, picture as a whole, that um, perhaps are obvious to you, but it's worth pausing on. Firstly, 
if Jesus is right, he's the shepherd, we're, we're the sheep, then we all belong to Jesus. We are his property. We belong to Jesus. So, uh, verse 3, the gatekeeper owns the gate and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When, when he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of him. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a, a stranger. Do you, do you see? They are his own sheep. We belong to Jesus. He is unlike others who are thieves and robbers who are trying to take sheep away from who they belong to and what they're meant to do, take them away somewhere else to do something different. We all belong to Jesus. Now, I don't think any of us naturally like that idea of being someone else's property. That sounds a little bit outrageous, doesn't it? I don't belong to anyone except myself, surely, we naturally think. I can, um, I can call the shots in my life. Uh, I can uh, work towards my own goals, not someone else's. We thought a little bit about this um, two weeks ago. Those, those of you who might remember, Jesus said that he is the one who can set us free. We don't like the idea that we're enslaved to uh, anyone. Uh, we're in control of our own lives. And this is a similar idea, and similarly offensive. It's not a complimentary idea. I'm my own person. Why does Jesus say I belong to him? Well, the answer, according to the Bible, is Jesus must own us because he made us. Uh, John's Gospel describes Jesus there in the beginning with God, creating everything else. He made us. He designed us. So he owns us. He is our rightful shepherd. And he demonstrated, proved, that he is the creator and owner of us and and the world by coming into the world and changing things up, mastering evil, healing disease, controlling the weather. So, firstly, Jesus must own us because he made us. But secondly, I think uh, if we pause and and think for a moment, actually, we all end up living like we belong to something or someone. Either it's Jesus or it's something else. We are instinctively, it's hardwired into human beings to belong to something bigger than themselves, to some group or person or ideology. We are belongers. That's why there's this talk of thieves and robbers who sneak in and and take the sheep away from their rightful shepherd. Do you see? So it could be uh, big. It could be a country. It could be Britain. We, We belong to Britain. And so we conform to British values. Whatever else happens, uh, that is what we, the way we've got to think. And uh, we rally together with other Brits. Uh, and um, we're controlled by uh, the government and nothing else or, or, or whatever it is. Or it could, could be even bigger than that. It could be um, 
uh, the whole Western world, the, 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 the new um, uh, kind of universal Facebook, Twitter, liberal, democratic, secular world that we live in. And so uh, when, um, when Twitter or, or, or the BBC or, or whatever says that something is wrong, then we fall into lockstep behind them. And so we start thinking and saying it's wrong. They get to control us. And therefore, if they control us, we effectively belong to them. Or it could be narrow. It could be a, a friendship group that controls me and what I want for my life, the way that I speak, the way that I act, the way that I dress. Marks of belonging. It could be my family. It could be my marriage. Good things. But if they are what controls us, we're saying we belong to them. Not just to ourselves, to someone or something else. And Jesus says none of those things have the right to own you, to own your life, to own your fundamental priorities. But I do. They aren't able to make your life better. They're like thieves and robbers. They're in it for themselves. What they can get out of you to use you. I'm the only one who can make your life better because you were designed for me. For more on that uh, later. For now, I think actually we need to, to delve deeper into what it looks like, how to discern what it is we belong to, whether we belong to Jesus, whether we're living like we belong to Jesus. Perhaps we've called ourselves Christians for a long time. Perhaps we were baptised as a baby. And, um, and we've called ourselves Christians since then. But we need to delve deeper into what it means to actually belong to Jesus and live that way. Because um, not only do these verses teach that we all belong to Jesus... Actually, they teach that belonging to Jesus, this is the second point, belonging to Jesus means listening to Jesus. Did you notice that as we read through those first eight verses? Uh, It says again and again, verse three, the gatekeeper opens the gate for the shepherd. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out, he goes on ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognise a stranger's voice. Then again, verse 8, all who've come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Do you get it? Belonging to someone means listening to them. Belonging to Jesus means listening to him. As I said before, I don't think most of us have sheep. Uh, Some of us might have dogs. Uh, and I reckon all of us know someone who has a, has a pet dog. Now, if I go to someone's uh, house who has a dog that, that they've uh, trained, that dog uh, might well listen to all sorts of um, instructions from its owner. You know, sit, uh, lie down, do a somersault, whatever it is. Um, but when it sees me, often it'll growl. <laughs> um, not actually that often, but sometimes it'll growl, which is very disconcerting. And it certainly won't listen to me when when I'll tell it to do a somersault. Um, And Jesus says that those who belong to him will show that they belong to him by listening to his voice. 
And, and if they don't listen to his voice, they don't belong to him. It's as simple as that, isn't it? And those who listen to him don't listen to those other voices, the thieves and the robbers. So uh, in one sense, Jesus created all of us so we all belong to him. He has the right to tell us what to do. But in another sense, not all of us belong to Jesus. Because not all of us pay attention to what he says. We've given ourselves to someone else, to something else than Jesus, to listen to, to follow. Jesus says, he calls each one of his sheep by name, personally, directly. And they all listen to him and follow him. That's the kind of belonging that Jesus is really interested in. And um, it's the only sort of belonging that actually counts in the end. When Jesus uh, calls us in the Bible to honour our parents, uh, rather than ignore them or, or grumble about them, do we listen to him? Not just children, grown-ups too. When Jesus calls us to be grateful for what he gives us day by day, rather than uh, grumbling, longing for more, looking over at other people, envying them, do we listen? Or do we just go with the flow? When Jesus calls us to repent of that lustful pattern of thinking, or of that grudge, or of that pattern of gossiping, do we listen? Now perhaps uh, that's got you worried. Well, the good news is Jesus elsewhere reminds us sheep often go astray. That's one of the reasons the Bible uses that picture for us so often. Sheep are often wandering off. But they need bringing back by the shepherd. And when he calls us personally, as if he's calling you by name, will you come back? Will you turn away from that sin, as the Bible calls it? Will we be those who belong to Jesus and listen for his voice? To be ready to change our minds, to change our lives. In, in Bible language, to repent and believe. Baptism represents the, the kind of big way of, do, of doing that for the first time. But actually, all of us need that cleansing and dying to self and living in response to Jesus every day, that decision. Now, um, it's possible that, that as I've spoken about um, uh, Jesus owning us and, and telling us what to do, and that sounds to you quite grim. Um, okay, fine, if it's true, but it doesn't sound like great news. Why was everyone cheering and clapping when, when Lucy and Daniel, rather than commiserating with them? Well, actually, the picture is one of great news. Think um, of sheep. I think I said this a, a, a few weeks ago uh, when we thought about um, another time we were called sheep. But think about sheep not in uh, nice, green, rainy Wales, but, but in... Um, arid desert Middle East. Um, having a shepherd for those sorts of sheep is great news because grass and water are hard to find and there are predators all around. 
lions, wolves, whatever. And there are thieves and robbers as well. And Jesus says, like for them, this is good news for us. Because listening to Jesus brings life. Listening to Jesus brings full and rich life. Look, look down again, verse, um, well, verse 7. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep haven't listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Those last few words, the second half of verse 10, have been a very important uh, phrase for us as a, as a church. Um, that it's shaped our, our vision. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Grace Church exists to share life in Christ, each of us and with one another and as widely as we possibly can. This is why we're not content to merely uh, have a private faith as Christian believers. This is why uh, we want to shout it from the rooftops, attract anyone who will listen, because we believe Real life, real human experience, full and rich life is found in Christ alone. And I know that's the opposite of what most of the world says about Christianity, about um, being a, a Bible Christian. Most people think that following Jesus in that way makes life more uh, dull and narrow, more beige and more restricted. Anything but fuller and richer and more exciting. But Jesus says he came, he came to give us life to the full, to the mass. And you know what? I, I think it's not only the opposite of what most people in the world suspect is true of Christians. I think it's actually the opposite of what some of us in the church, if not most of us, or even all of us, deep down, suspect as well. I think many of us are wary of being too extreme in listening to what the Bible says, listening to what Jesus says, getting too involved, too committed. We feel the need to protect ourselves from that. And so kind of hedge a little bit, compromise. Jesus says, if we want life to be fuller and richer, what we really need is more of him, not to mix him with other voices. Because how do we get more of him? Well, we listen to him. Listening to his voice. There are two elements uh, to listening in order to get fuller life. The first is uh, hearing and, and understanding. It would be hard to say you're listening if, if you're not actually, you know, within earshot of someone. Uh, or if you, you don't actually comprehend what, what, what they're saying at all. So we need to hear and understand. And the way we do that is through the Bible. Jesus speaks to us now in the words of the Bible. And so if we want more and richer life, we need to make sure we're listening to him in the Bible. A personal Bible reading, perhaps, or listening to on a Bible gateway. Uh, reading Christian books, 
uh, listening to um, uh, carefully uh, on Sundays as we come together in, in, uh, uh, in church to sermons or in joining the dots before church and meeting up with other Christians to talk through a part of the Bible, to reflect on uh, what Jesus has been saying to us, to make sure we're, we're actually hearing it and understanding it. So that, that's necessary. If we're going to be listening to Jesus, we, we've got to be doing some of that stuff. But the second element, which is absolutely crucial, and without it we aren't listening, is obeying. When Jesus talks about his sheep listening to his voice, he's not just saying they know it's their master. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that's our master. He's saying they, they then come and follow. They come and do what the voice says. Jesus' followers obey him when he speaks. Jesus doesn't just speak to us with small talk. And he doesn't just give us lectures so that we understand more about the world around us. Jesus speaks to us to bring us out of self-destructive, harmful, God-denying ways of living. To bring us out of this self-destructive, harmful, God-denying world. He wants to replace those harmful voices that are all around us all the time with words of life. In in our real lives, in our day-to-day decisions, in our conversations, in the the way we think. To to give us a new life, a, a whole new really human, as we were designed for life. So, for instance, if I begin to treat a church as my actual family, where under Jesus I belong and and prioritise being together as we gather Sunday by Sunday, even though there are loads of other great things I'd be missing out on, if I organise my... uh, year around that, my, my holidays, my plans. If you know, I, I, I say no to things on a Saturday night so I can be there on a Sunday. Will my life be poorer or richer as a result? The way we answer that question will show whether we believe what I've just been saying about listening to Jesus. Or if I were to actually seek to uh, love and serve. Uh, my colleagues and my neighbours, and share what I've got, all my stuff, and, and seek to, to invite them along to church and talk to them about Jesus, do I think my life will be richer or poorer as a result? Do I just think I'll be taken advantage on, of, I'll be stretched too thin, people will look at me like I'm an alien? Well, they might. But will my life be richer or poorer if I obey Jesus in that sort of a way? Or if you're married and you seek to put your spouse's needs above your own and forbid yourself from point scoring or or even keeping tally of what you do uh, at home or, or of what you're entitled to, Will that make life richer or poorer? It's the way that Jesus... That's right. (laughs) It will make life richer. Jesus says it will make life richer because that's what Jesus tells us to do. And he says, if we listen to his voice, 
we follow him, he will give us life. Life to the full, not just bare life, not just existing on for eternity. We, we all exist on for eternity. He will give us real life, God-type life, joy and fullness and perfection. So I guess the question that comes out of that, if you've been following thus far, and um, if you've fallen asleep, then now's the time to wake up. Because here's the question. If Jesus claims we can get life by listening to him, if that's what his claim, how do we know it will actually work? How can we believe him? Isn't that the thing we need to think about? Whether we uh, don't claim to follow Jesus at all, or actually if we follow Jesus but know that deep down we can't really be believing him because we're not listening to him in all those areas of life. Isn't that the thing we really need? How can we trust him? That really he will give us life. And here's the reason. It's in verses 11 to 18. This is our last point. Because he gives his life for us. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd, doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the Father, God in heaven, knows me. And I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. So two things that prove that Jesus will enrich and fill our lives rather than impoverish and empty them. First, he is so committed to us that he was willing to die to give us this sort of life. Actually to die. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't an injustice, or it wasn't just an injustice. He laid down his life on purpose, according to his plan, deliberately, for us, for you, for me. When I was a teenager, I, I remember when I uh, realised this personally. And, um, and it totally transformed the way that I saw Jesus. And not as an abstract teacher, e- even if he is telling the truth, but as the one who so cares for me and for my good that he was willing to die for me. If someone um, dies to give you something, that thing must be pretty important. You wouldn't just throw it in the rubbish bin, would you? If someone dies to give you something, well, there's no greater level of commitment possible. And so Jesus will not hold anything back from us. If he's so committed to us that he died for us, then he will not be stingy with us. And so a life following him will not be one of of grudging service. Following him is the way to receive everything this life has to offer. Because also, as well as being totally committed to us, second, he is the one with power over life. The power to give us things, to actually make life work as it's meant to work, to give us full life. Have a look at verse uh, 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority 
to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. Jesus uh, constantly calls God his uh, Father through John's Gospel. And he says that uh, his Father has given him all authority in heaven and on earth. There is nothing over which Jesus does not have control. There's nothing in our lives, nothing we're scared of, nothing that we enjoy, that Jesus is not in charge of. And that means not only is he so committed to our good that he will die for us, he's so powerful that he can give us anything and everything that is good for us. If he's able to beat death and hold life in his hands, then he can give you that life, the life that you are designed, created to live. And that is just what Lucy and Daniel have acted out in their baptism. The Bible says that being baptised means being buried with Christ, dying with Christ, as our sins are washed away by his death. And then being given new life as we emerge with Christ from that burial, emerging from the water. In other words, Lisa and Daniel are saying they are receiving now their life from Jesus because he laid down his life for them. So the question for them from now on and the question for us as well is this. What will we do with Jesus' words? What will we do with Jesus' words? Let me read verses 19 to 21 uh, by way of finishing, and then we'll pray. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He's demon-possessed, raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Son who laid down his life for us to give us everlasting, perfect, full, rich, exciting life. Thank you. Please help us to listen to his voice, follow him, whether for that, that's for the first time or for the thousandth time. Help us today to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.